It's good to see you today. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, buddy. Uh, hey, as those baskets are being passed, wanted to remind you of one thing before uh, we jump in for today. Double Oak University uh, is still going on. Many of you guys have been with us on Wednesday nights. Uh, this is important, though, because we have been doing a four-week section of classes. Those have ended, and we're about to start a four-week section of classes. So even if you have not been a part so far uh, of Double Oak University, this week is a great week to jump in. Uh, and you've got a lot of different classes to choose from. Uh, so I want to remind you of those, because even if you just took one of these, you've got the opportunity to take another one starting up this Wednesday. Uh, first off, uh, we've got Next Step for New Believers. This is actually a continuation of the first four weeks, but if you were a new believer or say, Adam, I just want to get grounded in my faith, this would be a great class for you to jump in on. Uh, you know, best time to start is week one. Next best time is right now, right? So jump on in uh, to that class. Uh, secondly, uh, building uh, community groups. I'm actually going to be teaching a class for the next four weeks uh, on how do we create and, and sustain community groups. So whether you are a community group leader, I want to invite all of you to come, but also if you think you might become a community group leader uh, or even a Bible study leader of some kind, say, Adam, how do I create and, and nurture and sustain a group? Four quick weeks, we're going to be talking about that together, so I invite you to come to that. Thirdly, uh, dealing with anxiety in your home with Dr. Stephen Cloud. So if you have a child who is anxious, if you are anxious, how do you deal with that in a family context? That's something that everybody's dealing with in our culture. Be a great opportunity for you uh, to do that. Dr. Stephen Cloud's a biblical counselor, helps us out here as a church. A lot of great wisdom there. Uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians with John Kirkland. Uh, just a straight Bible study of jumping into the letter of Philippians. If you just want to gr grow more in your knowledge of the Word, great class for you to jump in on. And then the Creeds of Christianity with Dr. David Watson. Uh, I've heard great things about this class, getting some of the history of the church? What are some of the major creeds that came out of the first few centuries of the church? These are the belief systems, kind of systematizing our belief and how those can help and encourage us. It'd be a great thing for you to jump in on. All right, so you got five things, for, and those are all for our adults, for our kids. We got stuff upstairs for both preschool. We got our kids' musical practices going on for them on the second floor. Students have stuff going on across the street in the community building. There is something for the whole family. So listen, this is four weeks. I know there's a lot going on, but I mean, growing in spiritual depth, not just for you, but your whole family, it should be a priority, and this is an opportunity for you. So hope you come for the classes. You can also come for dinner. Uh, that starts at 5.30, 5.45. Uh, you can sign up. We do need you to sign up for it. We got full moon. Uh, we're doing breakfast uh, this week, breakfast for dinner, which is awesome. My wife had to teach me how good this is, but it's good, right? Uh, and so listen, try that out. Uh, it's, it's honestly a great meal, uh, but we do need you to sign up today, right? So do that today. When you get the text today, do it then, uh, but sign up so you can come for for dinner. We'll do a quick dinner in here, then we'll head off to our classes. We're done by 7.30. And then obviously choir is going on after that. So if you want to be a part of the choir, you can still jump in for that. That happens from 7.30, uh, I think, to 8.15, 8.30 uh, after all of these things do. So lots of opportunities. Do not miss those things. I mean, get involved in the life of the church, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, but grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to John chapter 15. John 15 is where we're going to be, verse 9. This ought to be a well-worn passage in your Bible. We've been doing this for multiple weeks now. John 15, verse 9 through 11 is where we'll be this morning as we continue this path of spiritual joy. John chapter 15, starting verse 9, is where we'll be in just a second. While you guys are turning there, uh, let me ask a question. I wonder if any of you have a guilty pleasure in your life. Uh, now, by a few of those giggles, I'm going to assume that means yes. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is, because you probably wouldn't. You would probably lie. Uh, and that's not great to do in the service, right? Uh, but, but what is your guilty pleasure, right? Uh, you know what a guilty pleasure is, right? It's something you enjoy, you just don't want to admit that you enjoy, right? Uh, 
It's a television show that you don't want to tell your pastor that you watch, right? I mean, you say, so I watch it and I love it. I don't want to tell you that I watch it, right? It's like, it's just it's not great. These are half of the reality shows on television, right? Just a little trashy, but you watch it anyway, right? Or it's a band, right? And it's a band you love. You still got a soft spot for boy bands, right? You, it's, you, know, you still listen to ska. You're the only one left, right? It's like, it's like you just got this thing, right? You just love it, right? You love this. You don't want to admit it to other people. But it's great. It's fun, right? It's not the best, but it's just, I mean, it's a, a, just a, a, a quick dose of something you enjoy. It's just a guilty pleasure in your life. All right, so hold that there. Let me ask you a second question. Uh, what are the true joys in your life? When I ask you a question, what are the true joys in your life, what are those? Well, well those we'll, we'll absolutely tell you about, right? Well, so I can tell you about those. I, I don't ask my, that's my, my wife, my husband. This is my kids. This is, this is the, the job that I get to, to do or some of the, the major you know, accomplishments of my life. I'll happily tell you about the, the true joys of my life, the things that bring me true joy. Those are deeply important to us. Okay, so you have the two of them there. You got a guilty pleasure and you got a true joy. Now, a third question. If you had to pick between those two and you could only have one, which would you pick? That's easy, right? Because Adam wants a simple question. You pick the true joys. I would always pick the true joys. Guilty pleasures are fine and all, but I would always choose the true joy over a guilty pleasure. But now, final question. I want you to look at your life for just a moment and ask yourself this, which one do I actually seek more of the time? When it really gets down to where I spend my time and where I spend my energy, do I truly pursue the true joys of my life or do I spend more time than I would like to admit on guilty pleasures? And what you might find in your life is that while we all appreciate and enjoy and value true joy in our life, for many of us, we end up settling for guilty pleasures more, like, more often than we would like to admit. And so this morning we're going to jump in and say, okay, how do we change that? How do we begin to seek after the joy that God wants to give to us? We've been walking through this path of spiritual joy, right? And it's got four parts to it. And it starts over here in the land of disobedience. We have to all come to a place where we recognize, I don't simply need help from the Lord or advice from the Lord. I am wrong and he is right and I need to repent. Let's say that on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Right, so I need to repent of what I've done. That leads us to the first positive step over here. We need to abide. Let's say that on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Right, so I abide in him. I have repented, but now I'm actively developing this relationship with the Lord. I am abiding in him. And that leads to a logical step. I then obey him. Let's say obey on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. All right, so I obey him, right? I follow after him. I do what he says. But that leads us to this final stage. We enjoy him. Let's say enjoy on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Enjoy. All right, so this is the goal. This is the end result that God wants to get you to. The purpose of all of this is get you and I to a place where we enjoy the Lord. The, the whole purpose of, of all of these things, he goes, this is where I want you to get to. If you miss this, you have missed the entire point. I have made you for joy. And the way you and I are going to experience fullness of life is when you and I enjoy the Lord. Now, let that sink in for just a second. We are to enjoy the Lord. The fullness of joy in life 
comes from enjoying the Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. Does that sound odd to you? Because I think that sounds odd to most of us. And the reason that sounds odd to us is because we're fallen. We know we probably should believe that, and that would be nice if we actually did believe that, but what we really deep down believe is that, yes, God is good, and He loves us. I do not know if He really knows how to have a good time. I do not really know if he's the guy I want to go out and hang out with. I don't know if he's the one who's going to bring me joy. Like, he's great and all, and he loves me, but he's kind of dull, right? Uh, and, so, and so, look, he's good, but, but I don't know if there's like infinite joy really resides in him. And because of that, we, we go seeking after the world. We don't look for joy in Jesus Christ. We say, listen, God's good and all, and I, and I like Him, and He likes me. But if I want to find joy, I'm going to have to find that somewhere else. And this is what the enemy has been telling us our entire life, that true joy can't be found in Jesus Christ. True joy is found in the world. This is quite literally the first temptation. This is the thing that got us into our whole predicament in the first place. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, you can't trust him for the good stuff. He's holding out on you on the good stuff. He's keeping all that for himself. If you want the good stuff, you got to get that yourself. Don't trust him. You got to get that yourself. You better go find true joy on your own terms, but you're not going to find that in the Lord. And just like Adam and Eve, we fall for it. We buy it. And so instead of seeking joy in the Lord, we seek it in the world. We seek it in sin. We seek it in, in all the things that this world has to offer. And what do we get for it? We get shame, guilt, pain, and death. We're all prodigal children making our own pig pits. And sooner or later, when we don't find our joy in the Lord, we run after it ourselves, and what we find is pain and loss. What if you and I open our minds to actually believe that the fullness of joy, infinite joy, is found in a relationship with the Lord? What would happen if you actually believed that? Because look, if you don't actually believe this, you will never seek it. If you don't believe that that's a possibility, if you don't believe that that is true and is something worth chasing after, you'll never actually make it here. You will stop short. Think about it. If you're over here in repenting, you stop at repenting? Well, that's not great. You say, Adam, I repented of my sins. Well, that's great. But you probably still feel really guilty because you know you shouldn't be here, but you repented, but you just got to keep repenting. And so you're just going to stay here in an attitude of repentance. I turned from my sin, but I still feel like vaguely guilty. I'm saved, but you're basically saved by the skin of your teeth, and you just kind of hang out here. That's not great. That's not a whole lot of joy. What if you stop at abiding? Say, Adam, abiding is great. That's great. Yes, it is. But if all you do is just abide in the Lord, I'm just going to learn about him and talk about him and, and hang out with him. I mean, I mean that's, that's great, but, but all I'm really doing is just kind of just navel-gazing. I'm just kind of sitting here. I'm just kind of learning different things, but, but I'm not moving anywhere. I'm not doing anything. And sooner or later, that just becomes dull. It becomes rote. It becomes uh, systematized. What if you stop at obeying? You say, no, 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 Adam, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to obey. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do whatever he says, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do, 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 do. And you do. And you get exhausted. Because it's all just about doing what he's supposed to do. Doing what I have to do. Doing all these different things. And there's only so far duty can take you. If you stop short in any of these places, you have missed the point. God wants to get you to joy. This is the point. 
But if you do not believe that this is even available, you will never seek it and you'll always stop short. But this is what God made us for. Could we open our minds to the idea that fullness of joy is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Some of you may have heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, a catechism is a system, uh, it's a small system of statements that you can memorize, and it's, it's a teaching tool. Uh, it's meant to teach teacher or children and new believers uh, just what it is that, that we believe as Christians. Uh, and you may have heard of that, but, but I doubt most of us in the room have memorized the, the Shorter Catechism. I haven't either. Uh, but, but the first question and answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is fairly famous. Uh, it says this, the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? Here's the answer. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper, about 20, 25 years ago, in his seminal work, Desiring God, amended this just slightly, where he says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And I like that. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Enjoying Him is how we glorify Him because this is the goal. Living in Him, enjoying the Lord is how we best glorify the Lord. This is the chief purpose of our existence. If you don't get to enjoy, you have missed the point of the entire endeavor. So I want to show you that to you through the scriptures. And so look at John 15, verses 9 through 11. Uh, and look what he says here. You're going to begin to see this uh, in just a moment. Uh, okay, yeah, we can go ahead and put it up today. That's fine. Um, John 15, 9 through 11, look what it says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, look at this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All right, we, we've looked at this for multiple weeks now, and so you, you see that, that my joy would be in you. All right, but I want to step out a little bit and expand to look at the entire night. Uh, this is the last night before Jesus' crucifixion. And there's a lot of ground covered in the book of John on this last night. Jesus teaches a lot. There's the Lord's Supper. There's washing of feet. Uh, and then he's got the high priestly prayer. Uh, there's a lot that happens here. But on this same night and in this same context, Jesus is going to say the same thing two more times. So look at John 16 now. This is verses 23 and 24. All right, so it says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, look at this, that your joy may be full. All right, so again, just the next chapter over, he's saying, I want you to pray so that your joy will be full. Now, one chapter more, John 17. Again, same context. He, this is the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying now to the Father. Listen to what he says. He says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they have, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Did you see that? All right, so three different times in this discourse, Jesus says, I want you to have fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, 
but full joy, my joy, living in you. And if you get my joy, your joy would overflow. Your joy would be fulfilled, made complete. This is what I want for you. This is the goal of the process. Yes, you have to repent, abide, obey. But the goal is that you would actually enjoy me. And so what would it look like for us to live in that kind of joy? This is God's desire for us. Now, let's define our terms before we go any farther. What do we mean when we talk about joy? When we talk about joy, what are we talking about? It's a little bit complex, but uh, it is this overwhelming kind of feeling that we have, but it's also a state that we live in. So think about a time where you have been joyful, okay? You have just been overjoyed in your life, rejoicing. This same kind of root word is what we get here. All right, think about a time when you have rejoiced in your life. You were overjoyed in your recent past, okay? Look, that might happen like if your team wins the game on a last-second field goal or a touchdown, you probably went, woo, right? You had rejoicing. You were overjoyed. If your team wins a championship, okay, you were overjoyed in that moment when they finally win the game. But, but there's other uh, options for this. Uh, this might be at the birth of your child, right, where, where, where there's been the pain of labor and all of a sudden there's this joy when there's, there's finally the birth of a child. Maybe it's when you got word, uh, you're a student, and you're going to get into the, the school of your dreams, and you got that letter, you're fine, you got in, you were confirmed, you are going, you're overjoyed. When you see one of your children graduate, you watch them walk across the stage, and you have that moment of joy. When you get the promotion, you get the job, right? This thing, you, you accomplished a lifelong dream. Whatever it might be, there's a moment where you rejoice. There's this overwhelming feeling of joy that we have. And that's part of it. But that's not all that there is in joy. Joy is not just that moment of exhilaration. It's also the state that follows. So think about yourselves three hours after the football game, right? You don't have that exhilaration anymore. It's not that rush that you had at the moment the game ended, but you're still feeling pretty good, right? Because you won. Your team won. You're still the champions, Think about a few days or weeks after the child is born, right? There's not that rush of that initial moment of birth, but, but, but now you haven't slept in two weeks. All right? and so, but look, but you still have the kid, right? They're here, and it's joyful. It's two days after you found out you're getting into college. It's not the rush, but you're still going. You are in, right? And it's, it's there. It's not as intense, but there's this settled state of joy that you now live in. It's just kind of an underlying kind of emotion that's underneath it. Okay, those two things together are joy. It's emotional, but it's not just emotional. It can't just be that initial rush. It's the whole thing. All of that together is joy. Joy is this settled state, a settled contentment that we find in the Lord. When we recognize that I am loved, I am accepted, I am forgiven, I am saved, I am secure in Him, I have eternal life, there is this joy that has an undercurrent under everything. It's not just the rush, it's also the settled state that comes afterwards. This is how you can have joy and sorrow at the same time, by the way. You can't rejoice and be sorrowful at the same time. You can't. That is impossible. Those are two competing emotions. You can't rejoice, woohoo, and grieve in the same moment. You can't do that. But you can be sorrowful and have joy. 
Because even though you might be experiencing something painful and you don't enjoy that, that that is not good, underneath all that, I'm still saved, I am still loved, I am still accepted, I am still secured, I am still forgiven, I still have a hope and a future. Underneath all that, there's still a settled joy that holds you up. Even though you might be experiencing something painful. This is how Jesus can be joyful his entire life and yet still go through painful circumstances is because he had this immense joy. He says, I want my joy to be in you and that your joy would be made full even though his circumstances weren't always that great. Now that distinction is very important because for some of us, when we talk about joy and you're thinking, okay, what should I be looking for? When you think about joy, you only think about the first part and what we're really looking for is not the joy of the Lord, we're looking for a camp high. You ever had that before? You ever just kind of look for a, for a camp high in your life? Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you don't. Uh, many of you all know that before I became a pastor here, I traveled and preached full-time uh, to students. I still go out and do a few events uh, a couple times a year. Uh, but I spent 15 years doing camps and retreats and rallies for students, disciple nows, that kind of thing. I have been to literally hundreds of camps. And if you've ever been to a youth camp, you know how powerful they can be. Our kids are going to a, a kids' camp. We're sending our youth to, to youth camp this summer. It's an amazing experience because when you get in this environment, you're in a place for three, four, five days, and by day three and four, I mean, there's the possibility for a very emotional experience because you've, you've finally gotten away from the distractions of the world. Everybody is really on the same page, moving in the same direction. You're, you're spending more time with the Lord than you, than you normally do. And, and look, many of us have had life-changing experiences at camp. I have. Many of you have. Some of you came to Christ at a camp. They say, I mean, I gave my life to Jesus Christ at an event much like this. And it's exciting. It is exhilarating to have these incredible spiritual mountaintop moments with the Lord. And those are gifts we ought to appreciate. But here's a problem. Some of us, after camp, we go home and we try to maintain the camp high. As if that's where I'm supposed to live. As if you could keep that emotional state going 24-7. And when you go home and the feeling starts to fade, we all start to get worried. Oh, no, it wasn't real. Oh, no, it's going away. Oh, no, I got to get back to camp so I can have that feeling again. As if that initial rush is what God is after. No, listen, that's exciting and that's fun, but that's not the fullness of joy. It's just the beginning. Joy is this settled reality underneath. You can't just go chase after the camp high for the rest of your life. That's not where we're meant to live. No one can live there. I learned this early on. Uh, in my early 20s, I was actually working for a camp organization uh, and we would travel all summer putting on these camps. Uh, and I had like a preaching slot in the afternoon, and then I was just helping all these people throughout the week. Well, I remember it was about week five or six of camp. So at this point, I've already seen five camps in a row. We're in Natchitoches, Louisiana. We get like a thousand kids in this place. We had a super amazing pastor who was there that week. We had a killer worship team that was there. And it was like night three, night four. And I'm in this room with a thousand people, and the Spirit is clearly moving. I mean, it was powerful. I mean, you see people responding to the Lord. You see people coming to faith in the Lord. I mean, you could just watch it happen. It was amazing. And as I'm sitting in that room, I feel nothing. Not a thing. And I'm watching it all happen, and I start to get angry. Because God's been moving all the summer at camp, and, and here we are, this amazing thing is happening. God is moving, 
and he's not letting me in on it. It's almost like he's purposely excluding me. And so you know what I did? I left. I literally walked out of the room. I walked out of the back of this arena, and everybody at camp's in here, so there's nobody around. I'm just walking around in the dark, and I started yelling at the Lord. I said, I said why are you mad at me? What have I done? I said, man, you're, you're in there working and you're moving. Why would you exclude me from that? Why would you keep me from that? I don't, I don't know why I can't go and experience like that, like all these other people. And the Lord, in his stern graciousness, uh, said to me, he said, Adam, how many camps have you done this summer? I'm like, five. He said, how many moments like that have you had already this summer? I don't know, like 10. He said, Adam, you can't live there. You can't live on that emotional high. You can't live in that spot. P.S., all these kids at camp, this is the only summer that camp they get. This is the one shot. You know how many more camps you have coming up? Five more. There's more coming. Stop being greedy. Oh, I didn't know I was being greedy. But what I was doing was, is I had confused that initial rush for the fullness of joy. It's part of it. But that's not the fullness of joy. Those moments come. But the joy God's talking about is this settled contentment that's underneath it as well. That's the joy of the Lord that you and I can live in consistently if we'll actually believe. Hey, listen, God can lead me into the fullness of joy. But that's very important because let me ask a question. So what is it you're looking for when it comes to the Lord? Because for many of us, when we really get down to it, we're not actually seeking the joy of the Lord. We're just seeking to feel good. What we really want in life is not to enjoy the Lord. We just want that high. We just want that, that good feeling. We just want to feel good, and we'll settle for that. that. That is enough for us. If we can just feel good, and so if God can't give it to me, I'll find it somewhere else. And instead of seeking after true joy, we're just seeking after a good feeling. Here's something you and I need to understand. It is absolutely possible to hack your physical body to feel good. In the same way you can hack a computer, you can hack your physical body and you can make it feel good. It's easy to do. You can do this with alcohol. You can do this with drugs. You can do this with psychedelics. You can do this with pornography. You can do this with comfort food. You can do this with buying things. You can do it with lots of stuff. But you and I have found ways to hijack our body and make it feel good. And that's what many of us do. So Adam, that's all I'm looking for. And so I'll settle for that. If I can just feel good, that's all I'm really after. And if God's not going to give that to me, well, then I'll just find it on my own terms. But look, that's mechanical. That's not real joy. If all you're looking for is a good feeling, if all you're looking for is a good time, if all you're looking for is to, to feel good in that moment, that is mechanical. You're literally just hijacking your body. You are, you are manipulating the system to feel a certain way, but it is not real. This, it's temporary. This, this is why you have to keep chasing after it. You have to keep feeding it. This is how addictions get formed because it will not last. And you have to keep feeding, 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 feeding in order to try to keep that high established. And it is going to lead to detrimental effects in your life. But that feeling is not real. And it is not joy. Now some of you are going to look at me and go, Oh, Adam. You sheltered pastor. You just don't know. Adam, you can't do the things that I do. You can't go the places I go. You don't get to watch the things that I watch. You don't get to experience what I get to experience. And if you did, Adam, you would know, oh, it's very real. 
Is it? Think that through. How come you have to keep feeding it? How come it won't last? How come you feel ashamed afterwards? How come you won't talk to me about it? You should think about that. Why is that? It's not real. After that initial high, there's no joy left. You just get a feeling. There's no joy. It's just feeling. You're not chasing joy. You're chasing a feeling that is mechanical, and it is not true joy. That is not what God wants for you. P.S., this is all Satan can offer you. When you chase after the world, this is all Satan can offer you. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters talked about this. Satan cannot create pleasure. He can't. He's never been able to invent a pleasure. God created all pleasure. God creates all joy. All of it is his. What Satan can do is take a legitimate pleasure and twist it. He can take a legitimate pleasure and pervert it and say, well, look, instead of going through the longer process of having true joy, how about you short-circuit the process, take a shortcut, and have sin instead? Just, just have it now, and you can. And sin will give you instant gratification. Sin will give you instant fun, and it feels good. This is why we chase after it, because it works in that sense. Why go the whole long way of having an actual relationship with somebody that's deep and rich and, and meaningful when you can just short-circuit it with an affair, when you can short-circuit it with pornography, when you can short-circuit it with whatever else? You don't have to go all that long route. Well, you can have an initial feeling, but you will not get joy. And in addition to that, you will get the poison of sin that will kill you, period, end of story. You will not avoid the consequences of sin. When you take a shortcut to sin, it short circuits your soul. And it will destroy you. This is what the Lord is trying to, trying to open our eyes to. So can I just ask a question? What are you settling for instead of joy? What are you settling for? Infinite joy is being offered to us in the God of the universe what are we willing to settle for? Is it an experience? Is it power? Is it influence? Is it just feeling good in the moment? Is it not having to think about all this stuff anymore? Is it the affair or the pornography? Is it, is it overspending? What is it? It could be even something that's seemingly benign like video games, which gives you the illusion of accomplishment without actually accomplishing anything. You, you do work, and you accomplish what? I have one. Nothing. You, you pushed pixels around. You didn't actually accomplish anything in the real world, but it gives you the illusion of achievement. What about YouTube? What YouTube does is, and all these algorithms are basically giving you just an endless stream of curiosity that if you keep clicking, it feels like it's giving you joy, and it's not because you have to keep clicking when none of these videos are worth your life. And we settle we end up spending inordinate amounts of time settling for a good feeling and we forfeit the joy that you and I could be having in the Lord. So what are you settling for? Because let's look instead at what God has on offer. What is he saying here in the middle of these things? How do we get to real joy? We know he wants us to have joy, but, but what would lead us to true joy? Okay, let's look at those passages again. So let's go to John 15. Verses 9 through 11, 
And look what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, what brings the joy? Two things in this passage. First off, abiding. I abide in his love. Abiding in the love of God leads to joy. There's the second thing in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. All right, so abiding and obeying leads to joy. Let's look at another one. Go to John 16, verses 23 and 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. All right, so praying and seeing answers to prayer leads to joy. When we pray and we see answers to prayer, that leads to joy. And then finally in John 17, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus is speaking in real time so that they might have joy. So hearing God's word can lead you to joy. Hearing God's word can lead you to joy. So we have abiding, obeying, prayer, and seeing answers to prayer, and listening to the word of God. These are the things that actually lead you to joy. Now, look at the difference between what God is offering to what the world offers you. What the world offers you is mechanical, all right? Do these things, hack the system, and you get pleasure. God is offering not mechanical, he's offering relational. All of these things he's offering, it's not a system, it's not a process, it's relational. When I abide, I abide in his love. I am abiding in the love that God has for me. I am recognizing that God loves me. He cares for me, and I, I, get, to, I get to live in him. I get to, to, to know him. I mean, this is incredible. I am living in an ongoing relationship with the God of the universe, o obeying. This is not just doing the rules. This is not just checking a box. This is not just accomplishing a goal. I obey his commands. Remember, he loves me, so what he, he wants for me is always the best. So when I am obeying him, one, we learned this last week, he is helping me obey, but I'm doing so because I know he loves me. And so I walk in obedience because I'm living in this relationship with the Lord. Prayer. When I pray and I see God answer, that brings joy. But that's relational. That you ask something and the God of the universe responds, that is ludicrous. That is insanity. And yet it's true. When you see God move in response to your prayers, that brings joy. And then finally, uh, when you're, you're walking in him and I listen to his word, I recognize, wait, I'm not just getting information. I'm not just reading what's always been written. God is speaking to me. The idea that when you and I sit down in our quiet times, we have an opportunity for God himself to speak to us, to bring us joy personally as he interprets things by the Holy Spirit. This is what he offers to us. All of this is relational. That changes everything. You see, I think for some of you, you're mad at the Lord right now because God won't be mechanical for you. You're mad because God won't be mechanical. You say, God, Adam, I prayed and it didn't work. I didn't pray this machine doesn't work. Why doesn't the angry sky machine work? I pray, do your job. Or it's Adam, I, I did all the good things. How come God's not blessing me? 
I did the good stuff. I showed up at church. How come I'm not getting the blessing? Or even worse, Adam, I didn't do the bad things. How come this bad thing is happening to me? I, I didn't do all these things. I, I tried to walk the right path, and this bad thing still occurred. What's going on? The system is broken. As if God is mechanical. He's not mechanical. He's a person. And the place you find joy is not in mastering a system or checking the boxes or doing the tradition. The place where you find joy is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where you find joy. That's where you find life. Do you truly believe that you can find joy in a relationship with Jesus? You're not going to find this in the world. You can find it in the Lord. Maybe it would be helpful for you to know this. The joy is reciprocal. Have you ever thought about this? It is not just that we get to enjoy the Lord. Do you know that the Lord enjoys you? Let that sink in. The Lord enjoys you. You say, well, I don't know why he would. I'm a screw-up, right? I don't get things right. I get why I should enjoy him. Why should he enjoy me? But he does. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, there's a lot in there, but look at verse 2 in that highlighted passage. The, for the joy that was set before him, that's why he endured the cross, despising the shame. Okay, so what is that joy? Well, well, clearly it's to glorify the Lord, to glorify the Father, but he was already doing that before creation. He didn't need us for that. So, so what does he not have that he has by saving us? Well, I hope the answer is obvious. It's us. Do you know what the joy that was set before him was? It was us, that we would be in him, that we would have a relationship with him, that we would know him. Do you know that the Lord enjoys you? He cares for you. He loves you. He's forgiven you. He enjoys you and his desire, his reason for making you was that you and I could enjoy him forever, that he would enjoy you forever, that you and I would live in an unending relationship with him. This is the pathway to joy. So very quickly, I want you to see that through this whole process of repent, abide, obey, and joy, you can actually enjoy him all the way through. It starts with repenting. I mean, when you and I repent, you say, Adam, there's no joy there. Actually, there can be. Because when you and I sin, we feel guilty, and we should. Do you know why? We're guilty. We messed up. We have reason to be ashamed. We have reason to feel guilty. Which is why we don't want to go talk to the Lord. I don't want to admit that. But when you finally get the courage up to say, God, I am sorry. The most amazing thing happens. You're forgiven. Every single time. You cannot run out of chances. The Lord says, when you come to me, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is such relief when you realize I'm still in the family. There's such relief when you recognize God still loves me. There's a joy. Instead of having to run from sin and hoping you're not find out, to finally just open yourself up and find cleansing and forgiveness and acceptance. Okay, that's joy. David in Psalm 51, 
Uh, this is after he was caught with his great sin with Bathsheba, and he writes this psalm of confession. Look what he says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When you repent, it leads you back to joy. You can have joy in abiding. And as you abide in him, you recognize, I have a relationship with the Lord. I get to talk to him. He talks back to me. This is where that prayer comes in, is that you talk and God responds. When you open up God's word and you realize he's speaking to you in these things. Every time we sit down for our quiet time, it's an opportunity for you, not simply to grow in knowledge, but to grow in experience with the Lord. Every day when we carve out time, we can say, man, these are God's words to me. I don't know if we really see what an amazing privilege that is. In in a far-gone age, uh, when there was a lot less technology, if you had somebody that you loved who lived far away, you'd write them a letter. And you knew it would take months sometimes to get there, maybe weeks, but you didn't have a whole lot of paper, so you had to just write it all down. Imagine getting a letter from someone that you loved. Man, you'd pour over that letter. You'd read it five, six, seven times. And the person writing it would take care in writing it because they only had so many pieces of paper. They're cherished words between people who love one another. See, today words are cheap. We text them all the time. We see them all the time. We write them all the time. doesn't matter. You can write them anywhere you want. We We just throw words around all the time. Okay, well, God wrote his letter to you. And says, I'm going to speak to you through it. We get to cherish his words. That leads to joy. And abiding in Him. When you obey, there can be joy in obedience. When you watch God move through you, that brings a lot of joy. When you see God move through you, there's a lot of joy. When you're walking in Him and you do the thing that God asked you to do, you, you trusted Him even though you didn't understand, and you walked in Him and you see Him provide, you see Him move, you see Him act, that brings a lot of joy. Look, sometimes you guys will come and talk to me and say, Adam, I just felt like, 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 like the sermon was like, you were just talking like directly to me. Almost like you wrote that sermon directly for me. Did you write that sermon directly for me? I will go ahead and answer you all. I did not. Right? I've told you before, I do not stalk you. Nor do I want to. Right? So if God's doing that in your life, guess what I learned? You just learned that God's speaking to you through this sermon. Here's what I just learned. God's speaking through me to you, and I didn't know it. That actually brings me joy. Because I didn't control that. I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. And the Lord did something. I get joy from that. And you get joy as you hear, man, God's speaking to me. He hasn't forgotten about me. Okay, there's joy. When you walk in obedience, you do what God says. And your neighbor says, man, I'm so glad you called. I mean, because that was the perfect time that you called. I'm so glad you, you said those words. They changed my life. I'm so glad you did that thing. It showed me God's love was real. I mean, when you walk in obedience, you get to see God moving in you. And then finally, you get to rejoice. Rejoicing is enjoyable. It really is. That exhilaration, that woo, it's exciting. This is why we sing songs and people sometimes, they lift their hands and that's okay. You say, man, I'm experiencing this exhilaration in the Lord. It's okay to enjoy those moments. They don't last forever, but we get to enjoy those moments. That is something you get to experience. Just openly, God gives us experiences, those feelings of joy across the entire process. God wants to bring you joy, but don't forget This is what he's after. Why would we settle for the things of this world? Why would you settle for just showing up at church? Why would you settle for just trying to be a nicer person? 
when infinite joy is offered to you. Because the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to close in a couple songs of worship. And, and look, let me just ask you that question again. What, do you, what are you settling for? Some of those things are sinful and you know it. Some of them aren't. They're just not worth it. They're placeholders. They're fillers. Time wasters. And the Lord is offering infinite joy to you. Why would we settle? Do you actually believe that God can give you true joy in Him? Not a perpetual high, but joy regardless of your circumstances. This is what He offers. If God's speaking to you about something very specific, could you repent even now and say, God, I repent. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've I've wasted this time. I'm sorry I've chased after the, the things of this world when you've offered me infinite joy. And maybe this morning, just choose to seek after him. Take that step forward in the process. Take that step closer to the joy that he wants to give to you. Let's see what he will do. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that you give to us. The joy that you offer to us. The joy that you made us for. And Father, forgive us when we are so easily satisfied by the things of this world. We're so easily satisfied by the sin that Satan offers. And Lord, instead, could you help us to respond to you in faith and simply say, Lord, I choose you. And so, Father, take us closer to that joy today. Help us experience that joy today. And, Lord, we will rejoice in you. We will enjoy you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.